The home of rock on the coast, Rodney Dion Live. It's been 40 years since the infamous Newcastle Star Hotel riot. It was one of Australia's largest, with an estimated 4,000 people fighting with police on the streets of Newcastle on the night of September 19, 1979. But what's more fascinating is how the closure of an establishment and a riot spawned so many myths and legends into Australian folklore. Marking the 40th anniversary, musician, now director, Chit Chat, he has put together a documentary bringing together all the major parties involved in the riot, from policemen, an MBN cameraman, punters and musos. And he joins me right now. It's a big hello and welcome to Chit Chat. Hey, how are you going? Thanks, thanks for having me on. This is a, a great time to be talking about rock and roll. What's going on? What uh, do you want to know? Uh, what are all the golf for you? I mean, I want to know everything, Chit Chat. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty here. But um, I believe you're a local Novocastrian. You are uh, you were born and bred in Newcastle, correct? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Newcastle and couldn't get out fast enough. Um, <laughs> when I left, you know, I'm an old man now, but when I left, Newcastle was 20% unemployment. It wasn't that long after the riot, to be honest. We was a few years, but... It was it was not a town to be in. Now it's, it's it's amazing. It's one of my you know I wouldn't live anywhere else. But then it was covered in smog and as I said twenty twenty percent unemployment and it was a place to escape from, not to escape to. What's your earliest memory of the Star Hotel Newcastle? Well, my brother was there, so I woke up. I was twelve at the time. I woke up and he he came out of the house. He was already moved out of that stage and. It was like he'd been to war, you know. Like he was changed by it. He was uh, he was probably twenty, I guess. And it, it really, you know, I saw his reaction to it, and then I saw all the news reports, and it was such a big deal because, you know, this looks like Belfast, or you know, like big. It, this didn't happen in Newcastle. It didn't mm. happen in Australia. Yeah, which is one of the things we discuss in the documentary that you know the police were prepared because nothing like this had ever happened. This sort of like you know. Apart from say the Eureka Stockade, <laughs> this was uh, like this was that sort of level stuff that hadn't actually occurred in Australia. Even a lot of the Vietnam marches didn't have anywhere near the violence um, that was happening on that night. And it was a great music venue, I'm led to believe. But uh, I think the, um, the upkeep of the uh, establishment, the Star Hotel, was uh, on the on the down, but the music was on the up. Yeah, well, the thing is that it was it was the golden age of pub rock. Okay, so 79, you know, Chisel had put out East, you know, or Rat had put out East, Australian Crawl had put out Boys Light Up, it was all, all that sort of period. But this particular venue um, only had Newcastle bands, right? Only held 200 people, and everybody went there, and everyone was loyal to that venue. And I, I challenge you to think of one other venue in Australia that held 200 people that if it closed 4,000 people would turn up to say goodbye it's amazing isn't it it's, it's, it wouldn't happen now because I don't think we have a, 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 um, a loyalty to venues like people had then it's, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing but what I'm saying is that it shows how important it was to the town because of how many people turned up to say goodbye and a lot of legends, myths, I mean, that came out of the Star Hotel riot that some people would report as fact. I mean, you got Cold Chisel, who were actually playing there at the time, but uh, we know uh, Aussie Crawl, they were just down the road performing. Um, the police were the uh, ones in uh, that were closing the pub down. As we know now, it was actually the brewery that was uh, kind of shutting it down. Um, I mean, there's heaps there. I mean, in your opinion, 
why did this riot have a life of its own? Um, well, a lot of reasons. Uh, and first of all, just may I add that no one knew that Australian Crawl was there until the docker. Mm. Oh, great. If, 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 no one knew. And in fact, because I emailed James uh, Rain, and yeah, he said no one's really mentioned it, but yeah, they were playing around the corner and, and got told to get out of town by the cops because of the riot. And they went, bugger that, and they went straight to the right and watched the cars catch on fire and all that. So <laughs> Chisel, Chisel weren't there but drank there earlier because Don Walker's brother was actually um, uh, from Newcastle or lived in Newcastle. Yeah. So that's, anyway, besides all that, so the question was, remind me, it's actually why, well, why did it happen? Well, I mean, I guess just, you know, it had a life of its own. There were so many false truths but kind of truths and it just, it was, it was bigger than Ben-Hur. Okay, well, this is why it happened. First of all, as I said, people were loyal to that venue. Um, they'd also been on the piss since 12 <laughs> o'clock that day. Um, you know, like you think about this, right? This is 4,000 people being sold $1 full-strength beers from mm. 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock in the daytime on a Wednesday. This is a school night. Keep that in mind, right? Uni night. They're, block- they're blocking the road. There's not one bit of security. There's not a bouncer. <laughs> right? <laughs> and surprise, surprise, things went wrong. And the police didn't know how to deal with it. Like, if you did this now, you would close off the street, yeah. you'd have port you'd have mid-strength beer, you'd have private security, you'd have cops. Yeah. None of that existed. The reason all that exists now is because of things like, and most importantly, the Star Hotel riot. I'm just thinking uh, dollar beers and inflation. Oh, insane, but imagine that. So they're a dollar beer, and this is what I was thinking about today, and I hadn't thought about it through the whole making of the doco, right? How many cases must have the publican bought to supply $1 beers to 4,000 people over a 10-hour period? Because the pub held 200, so if you bought beer for the 200, you know, the crowd outside was 20 times that, and they were still getting beers. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like the old Billy Thorpe uh, war cry of suck more piss. Well, yeah. But you know what the interesting thing I found out? Because there were so many, there were lots of myths about what happened there. And, but I was interesting, and you would have found this when you watched it, the actual air, the pub itself in the earlier days, or, you know, before the, the, the pub closed, was sort of this bohemian area. You know, you had the sailor's bar at the front, then you had the, you know, the drag shows and the trans gender population hanging out there and then you have live music in the front so it's this kind of like bit of culture that i didn't really know existed in newcastle and uh and then people just existing together you mentioned it earlier cold chisel uh, they would go on to release the star hotel off the classic east album um but they obviously they weren't there as one of those myths um but newcastle local band the heroes they would be performing there on the fateful night um and it's it did wonders for their career Oh, insane, as, as, as discussed in the documentary, because on the back of that, they got a record deal with Albert. Mm. So Vander and Young signed them because of the song for the riot. Um, they then, you know, they ended up on Countdown, and because of the timing of it, they ended up supporting ACDC on the Back in Black tour. So you can imagine, if you're going to support ACDC on one tour, not a bad one. Absolutely. <laughs> and. On. Yeah, so for them it was it, it catapulted them. I mean, the cameraman that filmed it won a Logie the, for best news article, and he won. And then the ph- photographer who photographed it won a Walkley Award, and ended up flying to Amsterdam for the Rothman Award for international photography. 
So the success of all these people was um, remarkable. Not just Cold Chisel song, but the heroes, and, and it was amazing what um, sprung to life after the riot. And in the uh, song, The Star and the Slaughter, blamed for the riot, but uh, funny enough, it was actually written a, a year prior, I'm led to believe. That, isn't that hysterical? So I've known that song most of my life, and I've always just assumed, I think because I grew up here, I've always assumed that song was written after the riot, yeah. they were cashing in on their notoriety. The wildest thing about the, the, the song and the lyrics, and I don't know if you can play it on your show, and you probably should, but um, you know, the, the, the lyrics are like, you know, there was fighting, there was action in the streets, we're going to burn this village down. We're going to, you know, t- we'll take no hostage. We'll, yeah. You know, give no quarter. They will remember the night of the star and the slaughter. How that wasn't written about the, the riot blows my mind because it was actually written a year before by the bass player who they got rid of. So he wasn't even in the band when they played. Couldn't even cash in. And he didn't. Yeah. So he's still got <laughs> writing credits on it, but he, um, uh, he wrote it about a rock star coming back to his hometown mm. and smashing it up. So it wasn't even about the hotel. It was a rock star in the song. And and literally on the night of the riot, or a couple of days later, oh no, the night of the riot, the singer was arrested for inciting the riot and they were convinced that the band had gone into the band room on the night and written that song and then started the riot with the song. A pretty good song that you could write on the fly if that was even possible. Well, yeah, they just said, oh, to be that talented. <laughs> the strange thing about star on the slaughter mm-hmm. as i said before it was written by the bass player who he had left the band a year before um weirdly was playing in the support band on the night of the star hotel right but they have had no conversation with him about that song in 40 years the band mm. <laughs> have never talked to him again about how they felt about that song becoming the the anthem you know, besides the chisel song of that thing, then weirdly, I just find that odd because I'm a songwriter, yeah. and you would think um, that something like that would bond you. I guess, especially of the days like nowadays, you know, where everyone's suing each other for royalties or uh, credits. I mean, um, yeah, that's, that's amazing, isn't it? That nothing's. Well, no, in, yeah. they gave him full credit, like he's credited on the song, and he would have got royalty checks. But okay. you think you'd call him and say, "Wasn't that weird that you wrote that song?" <laughs> And it was exactly what happened on the night. It's crazy. Never had a conversation. It's absolutely insane. And uh, here it is right now. It's the heroes. It is the star and the slaughter on Rodney Dion Live, Coast FM 963. The home of rock on the coast, Rodney Dion Live. He's been hit on the head by a rather large rock. He's probably seriously hurt. In fact, if he's not seriously hurt... He's very badly injured. We're speaking with a musician and director of the new Star Hotel Riot documentary. It's Chit Chat. And putting together any type of film or doco, it's quite tasking whether it comes to resources and especially funding. I guess, what were the big challenges that you were faced when putting this together? Uh, well, we're lucky in that um, the museum in Newcastle are incredibly supportive. Julie at the museum, she wants this... We're, we're telling 12 stories about Newcastle. Mm for our um, project, which is called Stories of Our Town. The council gave us a little bit of a grant to help us get started, and that's helped. It's, it's not a lot of money, but it was enough to kind of get it off the ground. But the, the most valuable resource, really, for this documentary was the footage yeah. of, um, shot by Barry Nancaro uh, on the night. It's remarkable because, I mean, only six minutes, six minutes went to air, and that became the famous footage all over the world. Um, during the course of making it, 
we actually found an additional 16 minutes that never went to air wow. that had been lost even by the you know MBN News up here. Um, and in that, there was everything that somebody talked about. He shot, shot coverage of. So there's a, a there's a part that wasn't in the original footage where they used water cannons on the crowd. Right? right yeah. Fireys had never done that in Australia before, and the policeman that was doing it convinced them, you know, to, to control the crowd. He gets whacked in the head by a bit of um, better block, hits him in the head. That that footage is in there. Yeah, you know. There's so much. There's a, a detective saying he was in plain clothes, so he went around the back of the crowd and grabbed some of the ringleaders because they didn't know he was a cop. This this Barry had shot it all. We had footage of oh, there's the guy we're talking to, <laughs> 40 years ago, in undercover grabbing a guy out of the crowd. And and so as a filmmaker, rarely do you get the chance to have something a historical piece so well covered and we, we were really lucky from that point of view um, and just great storytellers uh, if, if anyone gets a chance to watch the doco all you've got to do is go to storiesabouttown.com and you can watch the doco but we, we were lucky and we got a group of people that really knew how to tell a story and how to it, it's funny and it's terrifying and, and I don't know how you feel about it but that's the way I feel as things would roll out, I'd go right. That's gold. I can't wait to get that out. One of the um, one of the things I did like was at the end when you got all the uh, parties involved, whether it be the police, um, bystanders, uh, I guess people who were turning over the the cop car that would eventually uh, yeah. get on fire. Um, at the end of the doco, they were kind of it was like a reunion for like an old football team celebrating one of their old premierships. It was hysterical because we. One of the coppers, one of the detectives said, you know, he holds no malice. He'd like to get together with everyone because we found all these people. And so Raymond uh, Baxter, who weirdly was a, ma- a huge friend of Don Walker's brother, like really like best buddies. Anyway, that's another story. But he he's the guy that flipped the car that ended up catching on fire. So he was a, one of the main riders. Yeah. He had to turn up here with the <laughs> coppers, with the copper who actually arrested him. <laughs> all those... And so when he got here, he was arms crossed, and you know they, they came to my house, um, and I, I invited them all over because I wanted it to end. I wanted it some sort of conclusion mm. to to bring them all together. This bringing them all together was a great idea. So we had musicians and photographers, and everyone had been there. They all came together, and uh, I actually found Tilly's uh, just released those classic white cans again from the seventies, which are the cans they're throwing in the in the documentary. Yeah. I found a case of them and put them on ice. <laughs> and, and they walked in, and one guy said, I haven't had a beer in six months. He said, I'm having one of those. Uh, and anyway, they all stood around. We showed them the documentary without the end scene, and they're all a bit tense and arms crossed, you know, kind of burly blokes all standing around going, oh, you know, how are you going to show me? By the end of it, they're all arms around each other, <laughs> drinking beers, getting photos with each other. And, you know, it brought a tear to my eye because... It could have gone either way, yeah. But to see this, like this unity, was um, amazing because they bonded by this experience, even though they're on other opposite sides. Before we wrap up, I guess a bit of a two-parter. I mean, the impact. Uh, how do you feel? What impact uh, this riot had on Australia, and what impact it had on Aussie pub rock, the Aussie pub rock scene? Uh, I don't know if it changed pub rock. I think it speaks the golden age I don't think people are as passionate about 
music. Well, I think there's more styles of music now to be passionate about, but I also think kids have a bigger option now of, okay, we've got Facebook, we've got, um, well, they don't have, kids don't have Facebook, you know, they've got Instagram, they've got video games that are better than movies, they've got, you know, all this stuff that distracts them. And back in that day, you worked and you went out to a pub and you watched the band. Mm. That were the kind of, <laughs> that, that were your thing. So I think it speaks about that. But I think the biggest change that has happened since then is the change to policing, as we mentioned earlier. I mm. think that we there's all these hideous lockout laws and, you know, the fact you go to a, an outside venue and you get mid-strength beer. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of these things are a result of what happened that night 40 years ago. I think so at the time as well. Uh, people overseas uh, saying this is what happens when you close an Australian pub. They'd be like, geez, we won't be closing any pubs anytime soon if we were to go over there. That's for <laughs> well, sure. Do you know that like, there's one bit that wasn't in the docker was the fact that there was a bunch of pubs in Newcastle that closed up to 20 years later and they were all closed without notice. Right. Cause it was just because that... they were still scared. Yeah. They were still scared, you know, years afterwards. They were just... There was one pub... It was a big music hotel, and they needed to shut it because the shopping centre was moving nearby. And they didn't tell anyone, and they bulldozed it uh, at 12 o'clock at night. Uh, everyone, see you later. Bye. <laughs> Get out. Yeah, no, that, that, was, that was because I was terrified <laughs> of it happening. And that was like 15 years after the riot. Exactly. So why would you do it unless that's what you're worried about, you know? Now, you've already mentioned it uh, on the website, uh, Stories of Our Town. It's also on YouTube. Uh, it's the documentary of the Star Hotel riot. It's an absolute, even if you're uh, a music person or just a historian, it's an absolutely great doc. You've done a good job on this, and uh, I believe you can uh, let us in on uh, uh, the new project at the moment, Chit Chat. Well, it is Stories of Our Town. So if I go to the website, you can actually, it takes you straight to the YouTube channel we've got set up, which shows you the doco, but also has all the, 22 minutes of unedited footage which is quite horrific when you watch it you'll see how violent it actually was and also there's a deleted scene which is hysterical and it's a great um, thumbs up to the the legal system of Australia but the next project is uh, we're covering the closure of BHP Um, I've been having the most extraordinary interviews with um, I was talking to some girls the other day that were the first female apprentices at the BHP so you can imagine this group of eight 15-year-old girls went on a plant with 13,000 guys mm. and started work. And their stories were um, amazing. And then I'm talking to a guy who fled the Russian invasion of Czechoslovakia and then landed at a migrant camp and then started the BHP the next day and then worked till it closed. And his story was remarkable. So... Uh, Stay tuned. There's some great stories coming. Stories of our town, chit-chat. Thank you very much for taking the time to have a chat. Oh, look, awesome, and thanks for your time. The best thing since automation. Rodney, Dion Live.